Welcome to Race and Democracy, a podcast on the intersection between race, democracy, public policy, social justice, and citizenship. All right, on today's podcast, I'm pleased to join my friend, one of the goats out here, Dr. Michael Eric Dyson, author of 26 books, distinguished university professor of African American and Diaspora Studies at Vanderbilt University. He's one of the nation's, really one of the world's premier public intellectuals, author of numerous New York Times bestsellers, including Tears We Cannot Stop, What Truth Sounds Like, Jay-Z, and most recently, Long Time Coming, a winner of the 2018 Nonfiction Southern Book Award. Dr. Dyson is also a recipient of two NAACP Image Awards and the 2020 Langston Hughes Festival Medallion. Former President Barack Obama has noted, Everybody who speaks after Michael Eric Dyson pales in comparison. Mm. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Dr. Dyson, thank you. Welcome to Race and Democracy. Dr. Joseph, always a pleasure to be here with such a great figure, thinker, and intellectual as you. You know, I want to talk about Entertaining mm-hmm. Race, your, your most recent book, or one of the most recent, Performing Blackness in America, right. in the context of the, the real challenges and opportunities that we face right here about three years into post-George Floyd, post-Brianna Taylor America. Right. Um, We're here in Texas where there's been these numerous assaults on DEI Mm -hmm. at the University of Texas and uh, statewide bills that are homophobic and transphobic. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, new talk about ending all new DEI in -hmm. Texas, Mm -hmm. but also reviewing diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm associate dean of justice, equity, diversity, inclusion right here. Florida and DeSantis, the attack on critical race theory. I really want our listeners to know that Dr. Dyson is one of the premier theorists and intellectuals and scholars of global black history ever. And in the fields of sociology, anthropology, political science, ethics, religion, uh, women's studies and feminism, Mm. uh, history, Mm. uh, culture and arts, your your knowledge and really the writing and the research you continue to do spans all those arenas, Mm, right? You're really the person to talk about this in terms of how these attacks are connected to voting rights, how these attacks are connected to the afterlife of slavery and racism and Jim Crow, how these attacks are connected to mass incarceration, police violence and brutality, but also Jackson, Mississippi and black folks drinking brown water and new Mm. Mississippi governors twirling the mustaches like they're Confederates from the 19th century in this period. So I want us to talk and just rap about this because your new book, Entertaining Race, which looks at a a series of different essays over the course of your career. And I can Mm -hmm. say the first thing I read by uh, Dr. Dyson was in 1993, a book called Reflecting Black Mm -hmm. when I started graduate school. And that was, I think that was his first book. And so I've read the first book all the way up until (laughs) the most recent (laughs) book. So I'm a big, big admirer. (laughs) Oh, man. Sorry for that punishing retinue. Uh, But look, then read Third Reconstruction by Peniel Joseph. That's how we can explain all this. Because in that brilliant book, you lay it out. This is where we are, where you where you talk of what you talk about in that book, you know, post Obama and so on and so forth. But the George Floyd incident, think about it. America was weeping and crying and gnashing at teeth, as the biblical metaphor talks about it, between the struggle between Dives and Lazarus, the rich guy uh, in hell and the, and the poor guy in heaven. 
And so we've got this, um, this extraordinary confession, this confessional moment in American political history where on the nightly news you hear broadcasters talking about systemic racism. Huh? What, 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 wait a minute, what? <laughs> like they were talking about it like it was drinking water. Like systemic racism is not – it became part of the parlance, part of the culture, part of the vocabulary. And it was extraordinary in many ways. You had the blacking out on Instagram. You had people committing massive amounts of money mm-hmm. to try to make things different. And then predictably, as you write in many of your brilliant books, but especially in your latest, the backlash is predictable. Um, and the rapidity of the backlash is all the more astonishing uh, in our own era because of the depth of the confessional that many Americans made on the corporate level, on the academic level, on the political level. We're just going to do better. We haven't done enough. We hired new people here. We brought in new people here. You talk about DEI and the the extra uh, alphabet that's been added on to it, of course, as well. So the thing is, is that we went from that so quickly to the backlash of the Ron DeSantis's, the Governor Abbott's of Texas, uh, Arkansas now uh, under the 40-year-old uh, you know, uh, the new governor uh, there, Huckabee. And so the, the point is that the backlash has been predictable and it's been pervasive. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't believe that this is right or true. A, a student at Georgetown University where I used to teach was looking through all this anti-racist literature, looking for the gold mine, looking for the nugget mm-hmm. that would shine and all this stuff. Oh, there it is. People keep mentioning critical race theory. What the heck is that? He didn't know. And then he researched it, and he says, aha, evil genius, because he figured out that if we could get a rallying cry on the right, we could rebut all the stuff going on after post-George Floyd, because that's too much for us to take. We're being indicted as racists. We're talking about white privilege. We're speaking about economic inequality. We're talking about police brutality. Masses and millions of white kids and young people and older people involved in the streets. Black Lives Matter protests in some cities where there are four black people, and yet they were massive because white folk were getting involved. And for the first time, the masses of white people are involved. It was extraordinary. I think it scared the heck out of uh, so many of the uh, conservative establishment because, wait a minute, you know, these are white kids out here. These are young white people out here. And these are white people saying, we've had enough. And maybe because of the pandemic, people were at home. They could hear more. They could look at their televisions more. They could look at their screens more. They saw George Floyd's beating come across at a time when we're already vulnerable. We're already getting the message that in in the pandemic, black people are more likely to suffer than white people. Mm-hmm. So that message is already out there. And then we see this happen. And, and look, I think for many white people, you know, that moment in Obama's rise when we said, no more excuses for black people. Black people can do anything, which was a bunch of balderdash to begin with. But a lot of white people were saying no more excuses because this guy wasn't running from the police. You know, and all the arguments that he was doing horrible things, that he was, you know, the, all the things they say about black people. He, I was scared. He was jumping on me. He was intimidating. He was using uh, harsh language. None of that is true. He was nice. He was kind. He was begging for his mother. And I think it got to white people. We're done. As soon as they hit the streets, as soon as their kids are out there, 
the backlash began. We got to figure out a way to resist implicating all of us in a massive indictment of white supremacy, of systemic racism, and predictably, the stuff has been fast and furious and the backlash lasting longer than the promise of change in America. I want to really connect this with this is a book about performing blackness in America, but so mm -hmm. much of the backlash is anti-black. And you've written so mm -hmm. eloquently about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., about Malcolm X, mm -hmm. about Bobby Kennedy, mm -hmm. um, why I love black women, mm -hmm. about Tupac Shakur, Nas, Jay-Z, um, Steph Curry, right. uh, Kobe, just so right. many different figures. So much of this is tied to anti-blackness, but anti-blackness that then injures queer people and Jews mm -hmm. and disabled and poor whites. So right. let's talk about that in the sense yes. that so much of this anti-blackness, when we think about the anti-critical race theory, is pointed against black women and men theorists, especially during mm -hmm. this third reconstruction, I would argue people like Nicole Hannah-Jones, Kimberly right. Crenshaw, many people who you know very, very well right. are, are part of that tradition, including a, a social gospel religious tradition that you are a part of mm -hmm. as well, yes. um, with so many different black women and men who are um, anointed, who are bishops, who are reverends, right. who right. are pastors, right? Mm -hmm. I want us to talk about that. Like, yeah, how is point. it during this reconstruction period that the redemptionists, those mm -hmm. who are believers in the lost cause, how are they weaponizing anti-blackness even amid the juxtapositions that we're talking about? Because 2020 was a high point of Reconstruction. Right. We've never seen that many white people in the streets ever on behalf of black citizenship right. and dignity, right? right so that's right. a huge major breakthrough. Mm -hmm. And what, what this backlash signals is a resistance to having that group of people who were outraged by the anti-blackness take control of the levers of political and policy and legal and legislative, but also cultural and moral power. Yeah, that's a great point. No, you brilliantly said it. I ain't even got to say nothing. There it is, because, and the brilliant point you made there that people often miss is that it's affecting Jews, it's affecting queer folk, it's affecting all these folk, because there's blackness in all of them too, because the, the imprint of black struggle has enabled Jewish brothers and sisters. Now, as usually the story is, which is true, of course, that in the 60s, Jews were involved in the struggle for self-determination of black people. That's absolutely right. But black people gave Jewish theology legs. Black people gave Jewish ethics voice. Black people gave Jewish morality an amplified platform. So all the stuff, you know, Moses uh, going through the struggle, the waters going through, you know, the river and the, the splitting the Dead Sea and all that, that we gave that colorful articulation in ways that nothing within Jewish culture had been able to do to that degree and to that level. So it's a give and take and a back and forth. So there's blackness in that Jewishness and Jewishness in that blackness and queerness from the very beginning. What's more queer than to come to America and have your testicles observed? We were queered on the auction block. Mm -hmm. Black queerness is not necessarily exclusively a sexual identity. It's a sexualized perception of who black people are, but that ain't normal to stand on an auction block and to, and to have yourself examined as to the, the exact fit you are for the telos of agrarian capital. So we were queered from the very beginning. Why are we mad at queer people? Well, two queer women and a black woman discovered Black Lives Matter. Oh my God, people getting bit out of shape. 
The first people to whom Black Lives Matter must be proved is black people ourselves. Mm -hmm. And the open discussion of how we must include everybody in every group and every age cohort. This is why when we see Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade stand up and defend their daughter Zaya, mm -hmm. born as a young man, choosing to become a woman and changing her gender and with the full support, yeah. the rigorous, raucous, belligerent support in beautiful ways of her mother, stepmother and father. So that's what it means to be black. So not only are we undergoing you know, a resistance of the redemptionists who want to reconstruct America according to their racist viewpoints. We are reconstructing black identity at the same time. We are in the crucible of race, pulverizing narrow conceptions of blackness and bringing to bear something different, something more powerful, something that challenges us as well. We have to be a bit more uncomfortable as well in our own bodies to accommodate bodies that have been made uncomfortable by us, our queer bodies in our communities. I'm a Baptist preacher. I was at a church once not long ago, maybe three, four years ago, and a black woman came up to me after the service and she says, you know you're going to hell. I said, ma'am, you know my sense of humor. I said, look, I... I, I said, did you talk to Jesus this morning? Because I spoke to him, and he ain't mentioned nothing about no flames. I said, not even Burger King's big whopper. I said, I ain't heard nothing about no flames. Well, don't be funny. You know what I'm talking about? She's, I said, look, there are 25 reasons I know I should go to hell. I'm just curious about which reason you know. And I tried to be funny where I said, my phone is locked. That's 15 of them right there. But she didn't fall for it. She was banned. And she says, you preach from the pulpit that God created gay people. I said, ma'am, and you think I'm going to hell? I said, you clearly a polytheist. You believe that there's a God for straight people and one for gay. I said, what, did God take a break on Wednesday? You know, this creation of people is hard. So I let the second shift God come on, and the second shift God created gay people. I said, that's what they were telling you about you and, Mo and Noah. And the black people are cursed by Ham, you know, because of looking upon Noah as he was naked and all of this patriarchal misogynistic madness. I said, ma'am, either God created everybody or God ain't created nobody. Absolutely. And so it's a challenge from within, even as we take on that challenge from without. But it, it attaches to gay people, lesbian people, Asian brothers and sisters. We, the hatred is horrible and horrendous. And so what this has done is opened up a can of worms of being anti-everything, black, which is anti-Asian, which is anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic, and so on. But at the same time, it opens up possibilities of lines of coalition, things that you've brilliantly written about, how we have a multiracial, multicultural democracy. Have great, the great late Manning Marable wrote about that multicultural democracy. So that's what we're, we're, we're getting to, because black history, as I was at the White House the other day, and Kamala Harris said, and she must have been reading uh, Peniel Joseph, she said, black history is American history. And as a result of that, she said, we got to pass the baton. It's a relay race yeah. in that sense. And this third reconstruction that you've brilliantly written about uh, sees the, the paradox. On the one hand, the, the even the elevation of black female voices. It's not like these are new, but it's the fact that they were celebrated and amplified in a way they hadn't been before. There was Septima Clark, Ella Baker, Joanne Robinson. Uh, there were so many black women who were doing the work but who weren't given voice until we read books like By You or, or, or Brother Payne. But now... We have women who are there 
evident, visible. Kimberly Crenshaw, Nicole Hannah-Jones, you know, Sherilyn Eiffel, mm -hmm. uh, on and on and on. And yet there's been a devastating demand for their, their de-voicing, mm -hmm. the deracination, undercutting them, undermining them, throw them away. And the beautiful thing is, is that we have the opportunity in this moment to say we will not stand for that kind of erasure, that kind of closure, and that kind of um, muffling of our voices. And I think it's extremely important to talk about that in concert with the other groups that have been attacked. Because anti-black, in the same way that American history is black history, black history is American history, Anti-blackness is really anti-Americanness. You're fundamentally undermining the credo of American society. Mm -hmm. You're undermining e pluribus unum out of many one. So the real, the real combatants against the traditions of democracy are not black and brown and you know uh, Jewish people. They are the determined white nationalists who refuse to see anybody as legitimately American except their own group. I want to dig down into um, black men and women because uh, there's a recent picture of Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors mm -hmm. that that uh, they're both in Creed. They're both these beautiful right. black men, right. you know, um, straight, cisgender. Right. Right. Um, and they, they it's a very touching picture. You know, yeah. they're, 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 they're sort of embracing. Um, and there's, you know, there's that picture. And there's also the picture of um, Aesop Rocky and, and Rihanna, right, right. Uh, where Rihanna just sort of... Um, is right out in front on the right, cover of Vogue right. and Aesop has their, their new baby, their son, and Rihanna's right. pregnant with their second child together. Right. And obviously Rihanna is worth $1.7 billion. Yes, sir. So, and then there were so many folks both trolling both of those pictures in terms of saying that um, the Jonathan Majors, uh, Michael B. Jordan pictures was, was too queer. You know, mm -hmm. like this is the, and uh, Jonathan Majors also, also was in Ebony with fla a flowery robe and right, you know right. very very comfortable in his masculinity the right. brother is 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 like in superb shape and right, you know right. and at, he's proudly straight but but really pushing back against what a proudly straight black man right. can present himself as right, right? right. Um, but they're also trolling ASAP Rocky too I want to talk about black men and masculinity and then and then I have another question for you about black women and our relationship with with, right. with black women but what do you think about that? And, I, you know, I thought about you a lot in the context of this because you were one of the first people that I read in a big way. And this is the 1995 book uh, about Malcolm X, The Myth mm. and Making of Malcolm X, which was something I could tell our listeners that every black mm. graduate student in America read mm, uh, in 1995. And that was one of the key books about Malcolm. Mm. But it was also about m maleness and masculinity. Right. Yeah. And you pushing us to think about... Um, heterosexuality, about queerness, mm -hmm. about what it means to be a man in a much wider and expansive mm -hmm. context. So Bless you're way you. ahead of your time in that Bless sense. You, so this is something that people who are BLM activists should read, everybody should read. You, what do you What do you um, think about? And you've done the same, I may not get there with you mm -hmm. with King. You've right. done the same, holla if you hear me with Tupac. Right. <laughs> right. You've done the same, there's a brilliant, one of my favorite books of yours is your, your book on Marvin Gaye. Marvin mm -hmm. Gaye is one of my Thank favorite you, artists ever. Yeah, right, I think Marvin right. Gaye might be <laughs> like really in my top three. If I'm on oh, an yeah, island, yeah. I need more. Yeah, 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 no you doubt. Know, no you doubt, know what I'm no saying? Doubt, no so, doubt. so tell us about that in terms of where we're at in 2023, because you mentioned Dwayne Wade's daughter. We're making progress with a black right. man like Dwayne Wade proudly saying, this is my daughter. That's right. right? That's right. But then at the same time, all these trolls online. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're, they're horrible, man. That's what, And look, 
social social media is great in many ways, and it's cancerous and evil in others. And I and I've been on a campaign against cancel culture, not the right wing version. I'm not talking about them. They just don't want to be held account for anything. I'm talking about what we saw going on in Memphis, and we detested it. Five black men, three of whom were members of a national fraternity, uh, murdering mercilessly a vulnerable black man. Tyree Nichols. Tyree Nichols. But we do it every day. We get mad at that, but we're trolling each other. Somebody says something, we bring the digital lynch mob to bear. No evidence necessary. Allegation alone. Uh, I don't know if y'all remember that, but read Peniel Joseph and other American historians. They did this stuff back in the 1919s, 20s, 20s, and 30s. Black man accused of raping a oh, yeah. white woman. No, we're not going to have a jury trial. We're going to judge you right here. This is what social media has done. It has given us in hand the digital, the digital rope to lynch each other, to hate each other, to dis discard each other. Jay-Z is ugly. He looks like a camel. The children of Jay-Z and Beyonce are, I mean, horrendous amplifications of the worst instincts that we have. So, you know, and look, the democratization of literacy is important, but at the same time, everybody who got a story to tell can't tell it well and can't talk well and can't write it well. Everybody wants to be an author. They want to demonize the process by which one becomes an author, mm -hmm. rigorous study, alone by yourself, trying to engage in scholarly reflection upon issues or in community and in concerts, but it's hard. But they want to acclaim the product. So they hate the process, but love the product. Everybody wants to be smart. Like I'm in church, doctor so-and-so. Now demonizing study, stigmatizing it. I remember when I was a young preacher, and I'm, I'm going to get to your point. I was a young preacher in Tennessee. Uh, I'm back there now, but that's a long story. And, and somebody said, yeah, this doc, this bishop, this young man is uh, wanting to go to graduate school. I think he's got a full right to go to Princeton University to get a Ph.D., and the bishop says, yeah, well, can a Ph.D. from Princeton get you into heaven? He asked me directly. I figured he wanted a response. I said, no, bishop, but it will allow me to write my own sermons. So they were, oh, I said, yeah, right. So the thing is, is that people want to sell, they want the product, bishop, doctor, professor. They just don't want to do the hard work. I say all that to say that when you look at these trolls out here beating up on Jonathan Major, I mean, I'm confused. On the one hand, we say we want the luxury of settled black identity that doesn't have to defend itself, mm -hmm. that doesn't have to always be under scrutiny, that doesn't have to always be the subject of white supremacist reaction, or that we have to worry about what might happen, that we want to luxuriate in an implicit blackness, a blackness taken for granted, a black cosmos and universe as the normative takeoff for our own being, for our existential projects, and for our political and ideological projects. So. Here we are, we got two black men, beautiful black men, amazing black men, and not only the picture, but then I saw the video of them standing up on the um, red carpet and playing with each other, like back and forth, like she, you know, the woman that, which is an amazing moment because it was um, Michael B. Jordan who says to the woman interviewing him, she says, you know, we go back, we go back to high school. I've known him since then. He said, yeah, you called me corny. He said, remember that? Oh, no, that was just joking. He said, no. And she says, oh, I didn't say. He says, oh, yeah, I heard it. So that was a very tough moment. Beautiful. Because his point is 
that this is the kind of culture that stigmatizes, demonizes, and anoints and disappoints people by saying you're corny, you're this, you're goofy, mm-hmm. you're that. And then later on, a development happens because you can't talk about people at 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Let's talk about development and, and so on. And we're harsh in our adolescent judgments, but we replicate those adolescent inclinations on a social media where we're pouncing immediately. Haven't studied, haven't reflected, haven't engaged. We just, everybody has an opinion and that opinion is equally valuable. It ain't true. Mm-hmm. So I say all that to say, when we have the majors and the beautiful thing about majors and Jordan, they're playing each other, you know, loving each other. Because when the woman says, well, you know, he's the most sexy man in the world. What do you think about that? She said, and, and Jonathan Majors go, he is. Look at him. Say it was beautiful. The support. It wasn't like, no, no, it's me. It's me. He said, no, absolutely. And John and he and Jonathan are going back and forth and supporting and loving each other. That's what we need. Because Authentic black love in public is an unavoidably political gesture. Mm-hmm. And then when you talk about, you know, ASAP Rocky, oh, you should be ASAP Rocky, you should be offended. You're playing the backdrop to a woman who's in control. Look, uh, as you already said, $1.6 billion, bro, and it wasn't off the music. It's off the entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. It's off the Fenty and the Sephora and the Savage and so on. She even turned I'm a Savage into Fenty Savage. So she's able to brand her own peculiar idiomatic expression into a pop culture phenomena that reaps the whirlwind of more than a billion dollars. Respect this woman's genius. Mm-hmm. The point is, that's black female genius at an extraordinary level that hasn't been acknowledged. He acknowledges it. He partners with her. They produce a child. And it, it, it and it's created some tension like, let me, let me think about guns that I'm carrying through the airport. What do I have to give up some of the tropes and some of the accoutrements of a kind of street authenticity in order to go to a higher level? JC said, Jay-Z said, I don't, it don't make no sense to me to be in the project's hallway, to say I'm in the projects all day. It makes no sense. Get your suit on, come with me to the White House. Ah, this is the evolution of black consciousness. This is the evolution of black masculinity. Go from the streets selling crack to cracking the edifice at the White House with Barack Obama. That's the move. Mm -hmm. And so... The beautiful thing there is that Aesop Rocky doesn't have to be offended yeah. by sitting on Vogue. Vogue is, you know, celebrating black, in this case, a black woman, and celebrating women. You should be glad just to be a little smart part, uh, uh, postage stamp size on that cover. And the beautiful thing is they're a family. She yeah. is the leader. She is the woman who gives uh, uh, expression to the, the aspirations and fantasies, hopes and desperation for beauty, for content, for consciousness and still manages to do her thing. So I think that that's extraordinarily important. Masculinity has to be vulnerable, and yet understanding its place, redefinitions of masculinity are extremely important. The old school beat them down, poisonous, toxic masculinity has hurt men as much as it has hurt women. It has hurt us in our inability to acknowledge the other. Man, I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna send in the Penel Joseph, you know, because if I acknowledge his genius, then, then, then that takes away from me. <laughs> I mean, it's ludicrous. Yeah. The kind of zero-sum yeah. hankering, tinkering, and thinking around acknowledgement of the other. So that social media, that um, trolling has been cancerous to the creative, inventive character of black community for so many of us, especially black men who love and need each other. But when I see displays like that, 
I say forget the darn trolls. Celebrate what we're doing as men mature enough to embrace each other. No, that's that's excellent. I, I want to um, pivot to black women, especially in this context. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've seen the Stacey Abrams, the Cole Hannah Jones, Alicia right. Garza, Tamika Mallory, no name. You know, right, right. the the whole thing, Rihanna, Beyonce. On some levels, we've seen the biggest outpouring, visible appreciation for black women, women's genius, politically, mm-hmm. economically, culturally, in so many different ways. And I want to talk about some of the, both the positives of that, but then the tensions that mm-hmm. that has brought up, right? right the tensions, right. including, remember, people like Ice Cube, uh, people like um, Killer Mike. Right. There's been critiques of women. There's been... At times, even people being receptive to some of the Trump language mm-hmm. because of the tension. And I want to, want to ask you, you know, what do you make of that tension? Mm-hmm. What can we do to ease that tension? And how can we come to terms with the fact that black men and black women's needs, there are convergences, but there are also very specific needs. Right. No. And yeah. both sort of both acknowledging those needs without necessarily putting those needs in competition. But we have to remember we're in a capitalist society, so there is competition. Yeah, no doubt. Not everyone's going to get the job. We don't live in a social democracy. Right, right, right. right. So in certain ways, there is competition, right? Literally. Especially at this high level of academe and intellectual thought and thinking, consulting, um, preaching that you mm-hmm. do globally. There's competition. So yeah. I want to sort of unwrap that. Yeah, no, no, no. It's uh, as, as usual, bring it to nuance there. Look. Some of it is just hackneyed. You know, it's just the same old reactionary resistance to the other, being the feeling of being displaced. Now they know how white guys feel. <laughs> you know, like damn, can we can we get a can we get a foothold in here? Like Jesus, is it is it is it horrible? This is why Dilbert got jacked up. This is why Brother Adams, Scott Adams, is looking at the outside. He's like, damn. He said the the poll said, is it okay to be white? And 57 percent of black people said yes. But what about the others? That's why black people are a hate group. First of all, you idiot. Why would you risk? the empire you've built financially, much less commercially, and with your cartoons, on a Rasmussen poll, and that's a right-wing poll to start with, and they didn't ask the other question, is it okay to be black? And then what he didn't see is that another question was, can black people be racist too? And 76% of black people said yes. So, now I disagree with that in terms of the technical terms, but yes, bigotry and hatred, of course we can do all that. But, you know, if you see racism as a a, a form of control and structural, of course not. But the fact is, black people were down with you. You missed the point in the old poll because of your prejudice, bruh. So yeah, that's, now you know how the white guys feel, right? Like, damn, we're feeling out here on the island alone, like with John the Baptist on the Isle of Patmos and we need a revelation. So so the thing is, is that some of that stuff is just old and it's just it's just the same old stuff and we it ain't nothing new and we ain't got to figure it out and we ain't got to spend a lot of thought. It's as that you mad, you know, that the women are coming up and you, you thought it was your place. You had your time. You guys are doing great. And can you share? It's in the sand lot of sandbox of life. Learn to share your toys. Mm-hmm. And you think women, you sound like white men. Well, the women are getting automatic uh, elevations without necessarily showing substantial talent. That they're, look, look, You sound like the white folk now who are mad at black people getting a chance. So I think it's uh, horrible on the one hand. But let me say something else, though. No movement worth his salt 
can't afford to be exempt from critique, right? Legitimate critique, though, not that kind of outsider yeah. stuff. Like, we, got, we, we would say, I would say, honestly, to Me Too movement, believe women is not the greatest credo. I understand the point. Women have been disbelieved, have been dismissed, have been fundamentally mistrusted, have been seen as the stigma barriers, the Jezebel, right? All of that horrible misogyny. But it can't be fixed by saying believe women because here's the point. Do you believe all women? Al Sharpton in New York City believed Tawana Brawley. Mm -hmm. And it nearly cost him his career, right? It's not that we shouldn't investigate. It's not that we shouldn't hear what they said and trust them so that we can then come up with the evidence. Is this true or not? What about when woman A says one thing and woman B says another? Should we trust Katanji Brown-Jackson or Amy Coney Barnett? If we trust women, so already automatically it has to be filtered through categories with which these women are associated. Are they reactionary, conservative women who seek to undermine the trajectory of democracy? We can't believe that. So what we understand, the meaning of it, however, is trust women, hear women, listen to the pangs and sufferings that they have endured and be willing to respond to them in a serious fashion. Because some of the greatest criticisms that have come from particular women's expressions that have been tra tra uh, traumatic and problematic have been women themselves. But that ain't got nothing to do with your reactionary, patriarchal, misogynistic refusal to hear the legitimacy of women's mm -hmm. cries, complaints, and circumstances, and the degree to which we are complicit in the erosion of feminist and feminine power. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, we have got to, we have got to, we have got to take it seriously. Uh, for, for most men reacting in a reactionary fashion is ridiculous. For most men not hearing what women have to say, the reason Me Too came up is because the history of assault upon black women is atrocious, mm -hmm. right? And when you look at the founder of Me Too mm -hmm. out of Philadelphia, what she meant by it is quite different than what it has become, to yeah. be sure. But she was talking about the history of neglect, even in black communities mm -hmm. of black Mark. women, yeah. right? Uh, Sister Burke is saying this is wrong, evil, and atrocious, and black men's complicity in white supremacist logics of patriarchy has to be called out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But I think that we're living in an age of no forgiveness and no ability to say, hey, you messed up, let's move on. And you messed up, let's give you a second chance. Not on atrocious stuff where we know you're horrendous and you have a possibility of structurally changing the lives of millions. Not that, but the ability to acknowledge that. So yes, men and women are in competition at a certain level because of a capitalist society, right? Is Jay-Z, are Jay-Z and Beyonce in competition? Well, they're married, but Beyonce just passed them in terms of uh, uh, Grammys. Yeah, yeah, she got the Grammy record, bro. So at the crib, at night, you might drink out of your, uh, you know, uh, Alizé or whatever you're drinking. Ace of spades. Of, Ace of spades, right? Armand de Brayac or whatever that is. You might you might drink it out of your 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 your, your Grammy cup, but she got more cups to drink about of now. And she's the most, you know, celebrated of all time. But Beyonce is a perfect emblem of black female identity in American society, as has been said. You're both too much and not enough. Simultaneously. 
You're too much. Oh my God, you want all the awards, but you're not enough. So we can't give you the major one. This is a George Jefferson moment. When you're trying to move up to the east side, no, 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 no. Stay in the hood with Archie Bunker and all them over there. You cannot move up to the east side. Oh, you want to get a dance uh, album? Yes, you're great. You want to get the R&B? Oh, it's popular. Uh, maybe some of the pop, but not much. But no, not the major song of year, yeah. record of year, and album of the year. No. Look at Bonnie Raitt. I love Bonnie Raitt. Bonnie Raitt knew, like, what the hell just happened? Because ain't nobody heard that song. In order to be song of the year, somebody has had to have heard it, okay, in order for it to be successful, right? Even Lizzo, whom I love about damn time, Lizzo gave her flowers to Beyonce because she knew, Lord have mercy. I mean, it was a great song, but even the Pope was singing, you're not going to break my soul, okay? That, everybody was singing that song. So the thing, even Jay-Z, though he's not unbiased, said they were playing the entire album in clubs. It's never been done. So the thing is, as long as you don't try to test the boundaries of true universalism, as long as you don't try to open up a spigot from which flows extraordinary streams of black genius that we will not be able to tap again, you must stay in your lane to mix metaphors. So that's what it means to be a black woman. Your black genius is both exploited and underutilized, yeah. underappreciated at the same time, including black men. And so we have to be held accountable. Some would think, given what I said about you can't believe all women, that's a logical contradiction. No, I'm saying even more deal with the inequalities and inequities, the injustices that black women face. Um, and do it in a way that respects them. Because we know behind the scenes, and you and I would never say this in public, some of the tensions even among black women who okay. disagree, who hate on each other. Yeah. That feminist over there, she's not doing it. I mean, we've seen it, you've heard it, we know what it is. So let's not pretend that's not real either. So in, in my line of work, so to speak, as a cultural critic, I have to call those balls and pitches. I have to call the strikes and, and balls. And you have to be honest about it. So there's a way in which we can create enough space and reservoir for us to be able to articulate our ideas and to tell the truth about what we believe without believing that the other is Satan. I don't know about you, and I know you get it because you're famous, but a lot of black people, they just say horrible things about you. They call your name. They on Twitter calling you all kind of names, saying you a coon and all this. You know, I feel like, uh, you know, Herschel Walker at that point. Well, a coon, you know, a coon is a great animal. <laughs> That smart animal. <laughs> I almost feel like Herschel Walker at that point. But the thing is, they call you all these names and beat down on you, and we try to understand it because if they ain't got power, what they got is the power of the of the pen, uh, the digital pen. But this stuff is destructive at the end yeah. of the day, and we got to find out a way to mend the gap between black men and black women. Yes, there's competition, and some of it is healthy. A lot of it is destructive, yeah. and we got to figure out ways to bind us together because the beauty and power. I wrote a book when it wasn't a thing. Before it was black girl magic and black boy joy. I wrote about and celebrated uh, these black women, and yeah. I continue to celebrate them now. So. With the time we have left, I want to switch to politics. And really, you just came from the White House Black History Month celebration. Mm -hmm. And I've written about Biden-Harris as a reconstructionist administration, yeah, you know. Yeah. And and I could tick off the things they've tried to do, including student loans, which seems like the Supreme Court won't let them do. Right. But certainly the pandemic relief, more black women federal judges in American history. Oh, put black and brown children below the poverty line with the child tax credit, wanted to extend it, couldn't. The Infrastructure Act, the CHIP Act, 
um, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is really a climate change bill. Right. They've done so many equi more equity orders than anybody in the history of the executive office. So, so the, the, it's a, definitely a, a reconstructionist presidency that could have gotten more if we had had different senators from um, huh. Kirsten Cinema and 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 the senator out of West Manchin. West West Manchin. Virginia. Yeah. But but I, I want to ask you, what do you think they can do? over the next couple of years before the 2024 yeah. election to push back against the anti-CRT, to push back against the assaults that are happening on DEI, K through 12 education, right. voter suppression, and really the continued proliferation of racial terror and white supremacist organizations and hate groups online, the incels. Right. So many different things are happening that President Biden discussed during the during his inaugural speech, but has since really not discussed that much. Although he right. had the last year the democracy speech, right, the end right. of strong state of the union, state of the union was, was strong done. state of the union, mm -hmm. and certainly like I tell people, a reconstructionist administration. Although I also point out because I'm a scholar that Biden was a redemptionist in the right. 90s when we think about the crime bill. Right. Bill Clinton, everyone, was a redemptionist in the 90s. And a lot of Negroes were helping him out. And they were helping him out. You know, you know, Mike Epps, the whole nine. All the, the, and the black, black pastors. The black, black people on the street. Black get pastors, these people off yeah, the street, get man. Get them off the street. Right? Come on. So where do we go from here? And I'm, right. I'm now thinking about Dr. King, Chaos, Chaos or community. community. Right. Where do we go from here? And what, what makes you feel um, optimistic and what makes you feel pessimistic? Right. No, I, I want to say this, if it's not obvious already, when you're listening to this man. There is nobody, and I mean nobody, who gives you living at the moment analysis of what's going on better than Peniel Joseph. When you write those CNN pieces, I'm, I'm not joking either. Um, they are so crucial because now we've got a great historical mind weighing in. On critical issues, the the tally you just gave the the Biden folk. I don't know. Have you ever met Biden? Have you ever no. said that? Oh, that's gonna change. So, the thing is, is that your defense of him and it's principled defense. It's not personal. Yeah. It's principled defense. You may even never met him. Principled defense of Biden is extraordinary, and laying it out in such a powerful fashion. There's nobody better than Professor Peniel Joseph to do that. I learned so much from him. I take so much insight from him. I read everything he writes. I retweet it as much as I can <laughs> and put it on social media to, to, to counterbalance all this ignorance that's going on out there. Uh, because what you're saying is true. And, you know, Biden doesn't get his due. I mean, Biden is more progressive than Obama. I'm sorry, y'all. He's put more. He put a black woman in the White House and one on the Supreme Court. Dude, if he did nothing else, like for the rest of his time, he's already lapped everybody who came before him and he's doing more. And I was at the White House the other day. He says, I might be a white boy, but I ain't stupid. Come on, man. I mean, who's talking like this dude is giving you the discourse, too? And now, of course, predictably, Blaze Media and the right wing, the faux pas of Joe Biden. Yeah. I was there. Yeah. I don't want to hear nothing. Go on and keep giving uh, uh, Tucker Carlson uh, uh, McCarthy all of the transcripts, the unpublished transcripts of what happened on January 6th. Just keep doing that kind of, you know, horrible mis deed in the name of democracy or even Rupert Murdoch had to admit in deposition under oath 
that many of, including Tucker Carlson and them, knew that election fraud was false, that they were lies. It just came out yesterday and today. Mm. Rupert Murdoch is confessing because he couldn't tell a lie. He could have, but he didn't. Under oath that they knew that many of the people at Fox knew that these were lies and were mocking Donald Trump. Mm. But then now Fox has tried to file its own thing. Well, Rupert Murdoch doesn't represent... Yeah, okay, uh, Fox, and that those who were there as a station, we still have to be open to, you know, convey the news. It was a bunch of balderdash, or as uh, uh, Biden would say, malarkey. So the thing is, is that nobody better than Peniel Joseph to break that down. This president has done extraordinary stuff. And at the uh, Black uh, History Month meeting at the White House, laid it out, out again. No, it ain't sexy. No, it ain't, you know, uh, something explosive. You go, oh, my God, look what he did. It is the cumulative impact of the things that he is doing. And it's the way in which he does it. And his background in Delaware has, has given him his, he talks about all the time, his relationship to these black men. Hey, I tell you what, you can, you can, you can criticize him if you want, but it changed his life. Mm -hmm. Yes, did he, do the, did he do the crime bill? Of course he did, along with a bunch of other black people, along with other, a bunch of black uh, leaders, along with the other, a bunch of black people in the streets going, Bill Clinton, do something about these damn crack dealers out here in these streets and these people stealing from us. He, they, they begged him. So please don't try to be all high and mighty about that. And number two, well, he was also on the busing, you know, I, I, name me a white person that really wasn't. Name me a white person that really wasn't against that. It was like, what you doing? Are you messing with my neighborhoods? The thing is, you have to have a Janet Jackson philosophical pedigree. What have you done for me lately? And what Biden has done lately is pretty remarkable. The guy stood for eight years on in the gap defending Barack Obama. Yeah. Like he earned his stripes back into the, if you will, the picnic. <laughs> he, he got his invitation to the picnic. And judging by those black folk up in the White House, they were loving him being at the picnic. And he knew the right language. He had the right intonation. That's what they were saying. Like, he didn't say, I'm a white guy. You know, he, said, I, I'm a, he said, I'm a white boy. But I ain't stupid. He knew the cadence. He knew the pitch. He knew the arena within which he was expressing himself and the freedom rhetorically to say so. And there have been, you know, I think, I think exaggerations when he was on Charlemagne the God and he says, if you black and you ain't vote for me, you ain't black. That's inside black discourse, yeah, yeah, bro. Yeah, he That's, took that too seriously. He, he was joking. He was of just course joking. he was. Yeah, and yeah. the point is, his point is, he was so familiar with blackness, he could say it in yeah, a way exactly, and understood yeah. that. Yeah. But again, Peniel Joseph breaks all this stuff down for us. Read Peniel Joseph, the Daily Step. And, and let me tell you this. It's rare to have both uh, bifocals and long views. And this guy got a telescope and bifocals. He can see the nitty gritty and the day to day. And then he can back up and give you the long view. So I say all that to say what they can do is to continue to preach. Mm. I mean, what Biden was doing the other day is preaching. I think Kamala's getting more comfortable in her skin it's tough as a black woman Absolutely. if i act too black i can't you know i yes. can't be accepted and at yeah. the other time a lot of people leaving my administration you know my administration and you know because just because you a black woman don't mean you perfect that's what i meant about absolutely Believe black women there's some difficulties Absolutely. going on there yeah. but if you can work them out i think joe biden is extraordinary i think history will treat him extraordinarily positively. Mm -hmm. I think that what he's doing is setting the course just by doing the work. Again, it's not the sexy spectacular, it's the unsexy normal. And the unsexy normal is where real change occurs, right? Not in the march. I have a dream. One day, 
That's not that's that's beautiful. That that sparks motion. It sparks mobility. But it's the unsexy everyday negotiation. And we in Birmingham, Andy, go over there and talk to these business leaders about what's happening here. Can we get up into the local? That's where the unsexy normal is where we negotiate our futures and begin to compromise or create possibilities on a daily level. So he continues to do what he's doing. He continues to give speeches like at the State of Union where he he. He sets him up. I mean, it was brilliant. It was brilliant statesmanship he, and, and, and gamesmanship. He set these folk up. He knew they would respond, Bo Bear and Lauren Green, all these people. And then he said, well, I'm just looking at, look at look, go and look at your own people. That's what they did. It's beautiful wordplay. And this thing about age is balderdash as well. This man is quite aware. He's quite keenly capable of moving forward. And I think if we get another term out of him, what he has done, what he has committed to, what he has said to black people publicly. I ain't heard no president. Black people, I owe you. You helped me and I, I know it. He's putting himself on call, so to speak. Mm -hmm. He's putting himself uh, in, a, in the realm of accountability. And there at the White House the other day, he shouts out Clyburn again. And I told Clyburn, I said, you know what? You, you, you say what you want to do. I said, that white man right there recognizes, excuse me, that you helped him. And he always gives you your due. Yeah. And in ways, I know y'all don't want to hear this, some of y'all out there, Obama was slicker. He signified better. He had the symbolic politics down, and he therefore got over on Negroes in ways in which he was not held accountable. He was an amazing president, yeah. top 10 of all time, but when it comes to blackness, not so much. Yeah. Biden, on the other hand, has white privilege and the ability to do some things that, that, that Obama couldn't do, but he also has the courage to try to do things. Mm -hmm. As you said, the Supreme Court is going to look very skeptical about the student loan. Mm -hmm. We know that benefited us. Anything that is perceived to benefit black people will be under attack. But unlike with Obama, Biden is not discouraged. Yeah. What's the next move? What's the next curve? What's the next issue Absolutely. I can uh, attach myself to to make a difference? If they continue to do that, I think we're in good shape. All right, we're going to close it right there All with right. my dear friend and brother, Dr. Michael Eric Dyson. We've been having this amazing conversation with Michael Eric Dyson, who's the Distinguished University Professor of African-American Studies at Vanderbilt University, one of America's premier public intellectuals, mm. the author of 26 books. One of the latest is Entertaining Race, Performing Blackness in America. But there's so many other great biographies of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr., Marvin Gaye, Tupac Shakur, great book on Nas, on Jay-Z. Um, on Bobby Kennedy and James Baldwin, mm -hmm. <laughs> what truth sounds like. And I'm using that now for a book I'm writing on 1963. Brilliant account. Mm. Um, Michael Eric Dyson, thank you so much, Dr. Dyson, for sharing your wisdom with us. Professor Peniel Joseph, the embodiment of black genius and black excellence. I thank you so much for having me on the show, brother. Thank you. I've been reading Dr. Dyson for 30 years, and it just gets better and better. <laughs> Bless you, my man. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode, and you can check out related content on Twitter at Peniel Joseph. That's P-E-N-I-E-L-J-O-S-E-P-H. And our website, csrd.lbj.utexas.edu. And the Center for Study of Race and Democracy is on Facebook as well. This podcast was recorded at the Liberal Arts Development Studio at the College of Liberal Arts at the University of Texas at Austin. Thank you. Thank you.